David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. What happens to the money that goes into L.A.? $8.7 billion from what I last read today. We're going to have some of those answers. I'm delighted to have my friend on the podcast, Ron Galperin, controller in L.A. He's the money man. He takes care of all the money in L.A. Ron, welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you. What an intimidating job. My God. How, how big is the budget? Well, we spend uh, roughly about $10 billion a year for our core budget, and then the city of L.A. also owns three business operations. We've got the Port of Los Angeles, we've got Los Angeles World Airports, that includes LAX, and the largest municipal-owned utility in the nation, the DWP. See, it might be the biggest city budget in the world, for all we know. It's one of the biggest in the world. And then what happens? You go into the office, you got over $10 billion that you supervise, your staff is 50-plus? Right. Uh, well, I've got about 160 folks who work in the office, mostly mm. accountants and uh, systems people and auditors. But my title is controller, but it's a little deceptive. I don't okay. get to control everything. Uh, I am working on it, however. But th there's just so much. And I know I first met you at Cantor's Deli, actually, on a Sunday morning. And you were running for office, I guess, eight some years ago? Run yes. That. It was Sunday morning, and you know, I saw you were like just that classic politician, eager, making all kinds of great promises, uh, and then you sang a song, right? Yes, because you're a cantor too. I am. So, and I, I had never met you before, and first thing I was thinking is, does he really want this job? Oh my God, that just feels so intimidating. All this money, all this kind of stuff, and responsibility. But you won. You won the election, Ron. What happened on your first day on the job? I mean, I, I, I know you're good at what you do and you got a great background, you're skilled, but it must be really intimidating. I don't find it intimidating at all, actually. I love what I do. I'm really passionate about it. And everything that has anything to do with the city of Los Angeles, be it about transportation, be it about housing, public safety, parks, you name it, in one way or another, it comes through my office. And so it's a chance to hopefully do some good every day. I mean, I have trouble budgeting, you know, in my own household. And then here you are, you're held responsible for making sure that the money is well spent, right? And what were some of the first things you did when you got on the job? Well, one of the first things that I really wanted to do, and one of the reasons I ran in the first place, was because it was really hard for people to know where our money is coming from and where it was going. And so one of the first things I did was created a transparency website, and we keep on adding to it to this day, where you can go online and you see every dollar the city spends, every single person, and how much they earn pay period by pay period. I saw. There's some huge salaries. <laughs> there are some healthy salaries okay. out there, that's for sure. You can see every single item that we purchase, who we bought it from, what we paid for it, what the payment authorization for it was, every account of the city. All of that is meant to open it up for everyone to see. And I think that sunlight, as they say, is the best disinfectant. Have you seen gotten any reactions from this kind of transparency? People complaining, saying, you know, thanks, but, you know, now that I know this, any complaints? Well, we bet we get a lot of uh, both uh, compliments and people who raise questions, and that's the whole idea of what this data is about. It's to democratize it, because let's face it, there's not a lot enough engagement when it comes to local government, and I mm -hmm. want people to get really engaged. We've got a lot of people who join me in being a watchdog for the people's money. 
Right. So I'm looking at the budget here, and water and power is numero uno, over $2 billion, right? So that's the number one expense in our city. Well, the uh, number one expense when it comes to the core budget of the city is actually for public safety, for police and fire. Oh, okay. But as a business operation, the DWP is very big. Right, and then there's non-departmental. What does that mean? Well, non-departmental means there are a lot of different kind of services that are serving actually many different departments. So that's part mm -hmm. of what non-departmental is and lots of other kind of miscellaneous, as they call it. Right. Now, what kind of questions? You said, you know, it, it invited some questions. Give me an example of one question that somebody, like, shot at you when they saw all this. Well, I remember, actually, when we first put it out there, and it's now more than six years ago, I got a call from somebody saying, who in the city is driving a Rolls-Royce? Because uh -huh. at the time, we had uh, an expense line paid to Rolls-Royce for about $250,000. And back then, you could almost buy a Rolls-Royce for that price. Well, it turns out, of course, that we have all of these helicopters, and we buy Rolls-Royce engines for them. We've got both police and fire helicopters, but you name it, and we buy it. It's kind of amazing to me. Uh, we, we buy tens of thousands of frozen rats, go figure, which are used to feed the reptiles at our zoo. We buy about $2 million worth of gloves every year for every kind of glove you can possibly imagine from the lizard handling gloves to the uh, welding gloves of the Department of Water and Power. You, you, do you go that granular, Ron? Look, we're friends. you got to tell me. You really go that granular? Do you look at every line? That's crazy. Well, I can't look at every line, obviously, but, but the idea but of putting it out gloves there... And and the rats. idea of putting it out there for everybody to see is that everybody now becomes a watchdog for that. But we also use that as a way to sort of get people interested in gotcha. that putting that out there. People say, wow, I never knew that that was the case. And then they go online and then they check it out. And then all of a sudden they are more interested in what's happening in their city and they become better advocates too. Right. Now, you did catch some you know, uh, irregularities, right? In the IT department, I was reading on that. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, we put out audits, both financial and performance audits, on pretty much everything that the city does. I've done a lot on, for example, IT, because I think it's really important that we be prepared for an emergency in case something happens, that our IT actually holds up, our information technology. That's the backbone of everything that we do. Uh, and uh, I've been doing a lot on issues of housing, on issues of homelessness, uh, on issues of our uh, public safety when it comes to how do we get more police on the street, DWP accountability, pretty much anything and everything is within my bailiwick to look into. You need to make sure that the money's just well spent and you're getting the best deals, correct? Exactly. Now, now in this case, there was some potential fraud, correct, that you caught, which is a huge part of what you do. Well, we have a waste, fraud, and abuse unit, mm -hmm. and people can call in. They can call in anonymously. They can actually also make a report online. This uh, most recent report that you're talking about was at our Department of Building and Safety, mm -hmm. and some real problems in terms of how that uh, information technology was being purchased and paid for and what it was going for, and... Thankfully, that has been identified and now corrected. Great, great. So that's somebody from your department, one of your auditors comes in and says, hey, I'm seeing something fishy here, and then you look into it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that's what we try to do here at the Journal, too. You know, if something fishy happens, it's, it's part of the Jewish way of, you know, consequences so that we try to perfect each other, you know? Exactly. And my own background as a journalist really uh, helps me in what it is that I do. I used to be a columnist for the LA Times. I was an editor and writer for the LA Business Journal, for other publications. And so I bring to my job the perspective of a journalist, as well as having been in business and having been an attorney. How do we bring some of that private sector expertise to the city? It's interesting because, you know, in the journalism world, we're just so hungry for facts. And I think you've taken that hunger to your new job. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like a journalist's dream to kind of have all this information. And not only is it a journalist's dream, but I also have subpoena power, which most journalists do not have. Aha. Uh-huh. Tell me about that. Well, it's not something that I uh, use very frequently, but having it is important, and people know that I have it. Right. And when I ask for information from a department or wow. from those who are working with the city, they feel that there's a responsibility to give it to me. Now, the, you know, the elephant in the room, whenever I talk about money and budgeting and so forth, is do you spend more than what comes in? Is that part of your bailiwick? You know, I was noticing the revenue charged this morning, and then you have expenses and you have revenue. Talk to me about that. Well, we are not the federal government, so we cannot deficit spend, and we actually have a balanced budget each year. You have to be balanced. You have to be balanced. And as a matter of fact, not only we balance, but we actually have built up the strongest reserves in the longest time within the city. Can you please take that to Washington, D.C., if you don't mind? Really. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to write a column on this. Why is it that L.A. has to be balanced in our country? doesn't because you know it's like i was reading somewhere that the federal government borrows like 150 million dollars an hour when you see stuff like that ron what goes through your mind we're completely bipartisan regardless of either side because both sides have really overspent what goes through your mind when you see the kind of crazy deficits that we run and the um, and the debt i am really worried about the deficits that particularly the federal government is running and it is foreign governments in many cases that are actually financing this uh, borrowing orgy that we have been on, and there's going to be a price to pay for it. And uh, we shall see what that is going to be, but that's of grave concern. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not an economist, but I see these, you know, uh, Nobel winners like Paul Krugman and so forth trying to tell us that it's okay because the interest rates are really low and deficit spending is not as horrible as we make it out to be. But I've been hearing that for years and years and years. And just the debt, it's like in the multi-trillions and then the unfunded liabilities of Social Security. And at some point, the chickens will come home to roost. Look, having uh, borrowing is not in and of itself so bad. We do all sorts of different bonds, and that's perfectly appropriate. And now is a good time, actually, because interest rates have been pretty low. But you've got to make sure that you are not borrowing beyond your ability to actually pay it. Mm-hmm. And I've done a number of reports on a variety of different uh, bond measures that the city has. Most recently, uh, we had the Triple H measure, which is to create housing for uh, those who are homeless. Mm-hmm. I've got some real serious concerns about how that money is or is not being spent and got a report coming out on that actually this summer. Do you work closely with the mayor? Yes. Actually, the three citywide elected officials in Los Angeles, in addition to the 15 council members, are myself, city attorney, and mayor. And we are independently elected. But when we came into office, actually, we've had 
a good relationship throughout those years. That doesn't mean you agree on absolutely everything, but we are really kind of swimming in the same direction and seek to work with each other because that's what people expect. They don't want their Correct. elected officials to be there arguing with each other all the time. They want to see some results. Correct. So let's say that I know that the mayor has a real big place in his heart for the, the homeless problem. So if he has some ideas, it's going to cost a lot of money. Would he come to you and kind of kick it around with you? Well, we have conversations about a whole bunch of different things, uh, including, of course, issues of homelessness. And that perhaps is one of the greatest challenges right now that we face in Los Angeles, I think, as anybody who lives in the city knows. And what, what is your particular involvement with that? So I have the ability to audit and to write reports on a whole variety of different things that we're doing. So, uh, for example, I had a report looking at the various kinds of uh, cleanup projects that the city has. And was the city taking a good approach to it? In my opinion, and according to the report, there's a lot of work that we needed and still need to be doing. I'm also working on a report that looks at why is affordable housing so unaffordable to actually create? Mm. And what are the impediments that we're putting in the way of actually seeing more housing get created? We say we want it, but we make it more difficult. Mm. I, I see once in a while some innovative, like sort of housing design and... If somebody in your office came and said, look, my, there's a way of like building cheap housing for 50% less and this is a great new thing, and is that something that would come under your thing that you might suggest? Absolutely. And some of the recommendations that I made include looking at more shared housing models. It's mm -hmm. not just about everybody having their own apartment with their mm -hmm. own kitchen, for example, but how do you have shared housing models? How do you create micro units? How do you get more density in certain parts of town where you really need to see that happen? How do you look at a variety of different kind of housing models so that we can get people off the street? Yeah, that's like kind of fundamental. And speaking of streets, I was reading something I did not understand, something about rest restoration funds for street, and then it grew this year to 70 million. What does that mean? You restore money from street stuff? So there are a variety of different ways that we seek to have money to pave our streets and to fix our streets. And one of the ways that I thought was most important is this thing called street damage restoration fees. And that is supposed to be paid by utility companies when they cut into the street. Because when they cut into the street, it causes damage to the street. And some of us have even seen examples where the street just got paved yesterday and then somebody's cutting into it, which is really frustrating. So I wanted to make sure that that happens less. But I also wanted to collect more from the utility companies. And you did. Exactly. We used to collect $7 million. Now we're up to $70 million, and we're going to get close to $100 million. It's going to actually become the most important source of funding for our street paving. And you're going to see, thankfully, finally, more money for that. Please go on Olympic, uh, go on west towards uh, La Brea. You know, there, there are moments, Ron, i got to tell you, I get such these huge potholes, I think my tires are going to blow. And I wonder, like, how do you prioritize? There's got to be a million potholes in this city. How do you prioritize? That is a great question. And one of the ways you prioritize is by using data. And data, for me, is a way that you make much better decisions about everything that government does. And there are ways that you can gather that information even now on cell phones and actually have sort of a virtual map of all of your potholes, how deep they are, where the ones that need to be most paid attention to. Are you, to? Are you, are you monitoring that? 
Well, as a matter of fact, I, I recommended a number of different technologies that are now being employed uh, by our city when it comes to just gathering that information mm -hmm. and also using that in a better way. Another report that I just recently came out with and I've been working on and actually we're seeing some progress on this is tree trimming, which doesn't happen nearly as frequently as we mm -hmm. want to see it in L.A., we're never going to have enough money to trim every tree all the time. Mm -hmm. So with uh, the new technology out there, you can actually assess the health of trees from satellite data, from, uh, from drones that may be uh, flying over those trees, from information that you gather from cell phones. And then you can make some really good decisions about where you want to put your money. You know, I, I can't help myself. I just thought of an idea because I have a background in marketing. So we're always thinking about the consumer and how do we, you know have more contact with the consumer, more engagement and so forth. And it just struck me, Ron, that this idea of potholes is an enormous, enormous opportunity area. Why? Because millions and millions of consumer contact, it might be the number one thing that is on the mind of the millions of people you, you service in, in L.A. because we're always driving. And we're always in. So, I if if you ever brainstorm some kind of a program around the idea of you know send us a pothole, and we'll take care of it. Actually, you, know? you can do that right now. You can take a picture of that pothole, yeah. and you can send it through the city's three one one app, and it actually with geolocation will send the information to the people in the city to know exactly where it's located and where it can be fixed. You know, I'll give you a deal on an ad. You got to promote that. We'll write a story on it in the Jewish Journal. That is such a big, big idea. You're taking away the cynicism that people have towards politics and politicians, and all the way you're, you're like bringing back a sense of, of, of innocence and earnestness, and this is real. And this is a, an enormous idea, that if we can get a, a way to promote it, the fact that you care so much about taking care of the potholes that we're making you you know, involved with it, and, you know, you might be able to take care of most of them, right? Well, if you actually have a really good inventory and you're, if you're able to prioritize, you're able to do a much better job. And by the way, there's also predictive analytics software out there mm. that will tell you when that pothole is most likely to come up again, right. given the traffic on the street, given the history, given what the weather has been, given all of these things. You can even do a countdown. I will, I will get so behind this, Ron. I think it's just a, it's just a monster idea to get people involved in a civic way it's kind of the it's a good door opener you know because everybody i mean, i can't tell you how often potholes enter our, our our lives we had it in our street in beverly wood because of the trees and so forth so it's really one of those things that's uh out there so is this a dream job for you ron i mean for me i love it did because you, did you think i for get years? to stick my nose into just about anything that i want Okay. Uh, but when you were a reporter and when you were a, a columnist, did you have in your mind that you wanted to enter public service? You know, many years ago when I was in college, actually, I did an internship on Capitol Hill for the Senate Subcommittee on Oversight of Government Management. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> and uh, I always had the itch for it. And then I kind of fell off that path and had a very successful career in many different things. But I kept on coming back to an interest in uh, civic affairs. And eventually, I realized, you know what? Life is short. You got to do what you're passionate about. You got to do what you enjoy the most. And so I did the crazy thing to uh, run for controller and 
thankfully, the people of L.A. gave me the job. And what's been the feedback? I know you got reelected, which is always a good sign. Uh, do you get criticism, feedback, good, bad? Well, I get a lot of uh, good feedback, but there's also calls that I get of people who are frustrated with various things in the city. Or By what, for example? Well, look, potholes as one example, <laughs> uh, but uh, so many other things. Look, I think all of us can look around and see that the city is not doing a good enough job when it comes to responding to issues of homelessness. Right. How do we do a better job at the things that we need to do to make sure that our parks are as safe and accessible for everybody as possible, mm -hmm. that our libraries are providing the kind of services that we want for ourselves and for our kids and, mm -hmm. and for generations to come? All of these things that the city has a really vital role in, and in many ways, we, we pay so much attention to what happens in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. but our lives are intimately impacted by what happens on the local level in many ways more than anything else. So true. So true. I was reading once in this book, there's three elements to a democracy. You have the, the, the government, and you have the individual, and in the middle, it's community. And what's really made America is that middle. The sense of community and you're in that world so I'm in the Pico Robertson community and I can get so much nourishment out of that community that has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump or Washington or any of that this is stuff that we initiate and I think by the way no matter where you are on the political spectrum people largely want the same kind of things they want a city that is safe. They want a city that is walkable. They want a city with nice parks. They want uh, to know that their trash is being picked up on time. They want to know that the pothole is being filled, that the tree is being trimmed. They want good schools. Most people, I think, when all is said and done, want the same thing. So the question is, how do we get to it? Well, good schools, do you have any input on that? I mean, that's the, the subject. It's, education. A huge, it's a huge challenge in L.A. I don't actually get to control the schools uh, or to audit them, uh, but uh, what I have been working with the school district on is for them to have an open data site like we have because I think that if you put it all out there for everybody to see and engage people more, then you will also get greater accountability. But that is key, I think, for the schools to have that. Who, who's in charge? Well, there is a school board, of course, and there is also... Who's the Ron Galperin? Who's the Ron Galperin at the school board? <laughs> I've been working with a number of the different board members as well oh. as uh, with the, uh, uh, the offices of the, of the board as well. And uh, they are committed to doing it. It's not an easy thing for them to do. Mm -hmm. And they're a big bureaucracy, they as are. I think we all know. But the nature of government is bureaucracy and how do you uh, make your way around it and how do you overcome it? But you cut through that with this open data approach. Are you in touch with other controllers across the country? Are you seeing this happening across the country in other cities? It is becoming and should become the new normal uh, throughout the United States uh, for cities, for counties, for states. And by the way, other countries are doing the same thing as well. Uh, interestingly enough, I uh, was uh, in Israel last year and I had some very interesting meetings with the uh, controller for the state of Israel mm -hmm. and the work that they're doing along those lines. Are so they doing open data? They are doing open data as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, I met some members of the Knesset there. They were working on transparency right down to every meeting that the members of Knesset were having, and there's a little movement there towards transparency. It just seems to me it makes all the sense in the world to, re to regain the faith in government that's been lost in America. Well, I'm guided by what I call my three T's, which are, first of all, transparency. How do we make L.A. the most transparent city anywhere? 
And by the way, we used to rank at the very bottom, and now all these organizations that do the rankings rank us at the top. The second of those T's is trust. And let's face it, people are not feeling very trusting of their government, and government isn't always trustworthy. But if we don't create a more trustworthy government, we're also going to have people who are very detached, and that that endangers our very democracy. And then the third is uh, transformation, because the world is changing so rapidly. The way you go buy your goods and services, the way that you get from point A to point B, it's all about technology. It's all about apps. And we have got to change government in many ways radically to keep up with those changes that are happening in the private sector. You mentioned Israel earlier. Um, when I was there recently, I went to this place, and they, they take care of kids with special needs who are in wheelchairs and so forth, and they actually adapt the park, those playgrounds, so that kids with special needs can enjoy the parks. Is that something that comes up uh, in, on your canvas? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a uh, Department of Disability in the city of L.A., and I did an audit of that department uh. Uh, just last year, looking at how they're spending their money, how can they better focus, because there's so many different priorities, you can't do them all. Mm-hmm. So how do you focus, and how do you uh, make sure that you make L.A. as accessible as you possibly can? Interestingly enough, when I was uh, doing that audit, uh, just at that time, I had unfortunately gotten hit by a car, and then mm. I needed surgery, and I was in crutches for a while, and I couldn't get around so easily, and I developed just a little taste of what it is for some people who are encountering disability on a daily basis. And it really helped inform my own perspective about how we make the city of L.A. much more accessible for everybody. And is, uh, do you have the authority to decide we're going to spend more money on this? Or is that you just look at the money it's being spent and see if it's being well spent? Well, I do a lot of review. The mm-hmm. authority is more about how do you work with various departments? How mm-hmm. do you work with the other elected officials? How do you work with the mayor in order to actually get things done? Because it's not enough to just issue a report and say, ah, this is bad you or make this it is actionable. good. You want to actually make it actionable. Right, right. And that has some effect on the decisions of, of uh, budgeting and so forth. So... Um, let's see. You're in the Jewish community, Ron. You're a cantor. You uh, your husband, Zach Sapiro, is a great contributor to the Jewish Journal. Yes, uh, he's a uh, rabbi at Temple Akiva in Culver City. He is. How do you navigate these two worlds? I see you at most Jewish events, which is a good sign. Uh, how do you navigate both worlds? Well, it's interesting. Before running for the Office of Controller, I had been a chazan on the weekends at a uh, congregation in Montebello. And I remember going to uh, one of these uh, community forums for candidates, and it happened to be at a synagogue at the time. And somebody said, well, what makes you think you're prepared for the rough and tumble of L.A. city (laughs) politics? And I said, come on. I've been in a synagogue for the last 20 years. I'm ready. Oh. Uh, But uh, I've been very actively uh, engaged my whole life and very, very passionate about uh, our community, very passionate about Israel, and a lot of it comes from uh, what I learned from my parents. and uh, Are they alive? Uh, both of them have unfortunately passed mm-hmm. away. Uh, my mother actually uh, was born in Israel, and she was in the Haganah. Wow. And uh, she, along with my father, who was a Holocaust survivor from Romania and made his way to uh, Israel in 1943, both of them were in the War of Independence there in 1948. Wow. When, when was your last visit? 
Uh, last visit was last year, and I'm then going to be paying another visit uh, briefly this year. Are there official trips? Uh, usually not official. Uh, I know a lot of people there, family, friends, and then my husband, Zach, also uh, every two years uh, leads a, a trip of his congregation, and I try to tag along. You know, it, it does it stress you out when you see all the division in the Jewish community over Israel and the... Just the uh, the acrimony and the bitterness sometimes, the divisions and left and right and middle. I mean, how, how do you react to that? Because we see it all day long at the Jewish Journal. We see it in the letters that we get. And uh, we have the Israel Festival coming up uh, next Sunday. I wrote a column on, you know, it's a timeout for love, you know, for one day a year. We can just reconnect and remind ourselves why so many of us love Israel in the first place. And we can resume our fighting on Monday. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it might, it must stress you out because you seem to me like a you know reasonable centrist. You know, it does frustrate me, and uh, I do believe though that you have to find the things on which people can agree, mm. and I seek to really convey my love, my passion for Israel. And is it a perfect country? Is any place a perfect country? Look, I'm a very proud American. And, and look I, at a train wreck we have and, now. <laughs> and I love, I love being uh, an American. At the same time, does that mean I'm happy with absolutely everything that's happening in Washington D.C.? No. And, and look at London. Look uh, at the U.K. Look at what Lon a mess they've got. Yes. Yeah. So it's true that Israel is, you know, uh, kind of an ugly political scene there, but they're certainly not the only ones. But at the same time, while it's an ugly political scene. It's also an amazing country from so many points of view. What history, what a future. They've got work to do, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And there are some changes that need to happen. But it's also still a, a great place. I'm working on a column now on Rashida Tlaib. It's all over the news the past couple of days, the comments that she made on the Holocaust. Does those kind of things stress you out, too, when you see what's happening in the Democratic Party? Well, I'm a very proud Democrat mm -hmm. and have been my whole life. Does that mean I agree with absolutely everybody in the Democratic Party? No. But uh, I am continuing to work to make sure the Democratic Party will, as it always has in the past, be a supporter of Israel. And by the way, if you look at the platform of the Democratic Party, it's very positive. Now, there are some folks out there who want to take the party in a different direction, and I want to make sure that that does not happen when it comes to Israel. Are you able to sort of express your views now in a way that's separate from your position as controller? Or are you obligated to stay away from kind of political stuff? If, if I wanted to ask you to write a column on Israel, for example. I am able to express myself on just about anything. Of course, you have to make a separation between your role when you are an elected official mm. and you are using city resources and you're on city business, that's different gotcha. than your role, which uh, you can have many different roles uh, outside of that. Right, because um, I got to tell you, in our community right now, it's one of the hot button issues is there's a concern among many of my Democratic friends that um, the voices are getting too loud on that side and, and, and the classics defenders uh, like Steny Hoyer and Pelosi and you know and Chuck and all those 
classic, you know, democratic uh, defenders of Israel are being drowned out a little bit and spooked. And it's a major concern right now because sometimes it's the ones who are the troublemakers who make all the noise, most of the noise. At the same time, uh, I'm very active in a group called Democrats for Israel. This is a group of Democrats who are equally passionate and equally supportive of the U.S.-Israel relationship. So you're always going to find people on all ends of the political spectrum. Look, mm-hmm. there, are, there are Republicans who are very anti-Israel and mm-hmm. Republicans who are in favor of BDS as well. So you're going to have people on the edge of uh, either party who are going to be uh, at, at odds with... Tell me, tell me about Democrats for Israel. Give me an example of some of the things you do and who's involved. Well, this is basically anybody who's caring about being a Democrat, caring about Israel, can be a member. And, and there are chapters all over, as a matter right. of fact. And this has been, I think, a, a great force for good. But there are a lot of these kinds of, of organizations that really want to be involved both in, in politics here in the United States as well as advocating for uh, the relationship that we have with the state of Israel. Well, I would love to um, publish a column for you from you on that. Our readers would be very interested. I'll work with Ian. He's very, uh, very reliable, your assistant. If you can write something for well, us on uh, that, it Ian would Thompson, be great. who you are uh, referring to, is actually my chief of communications, and Good guy. Uh, doing an amazing job. I have to say, nobody can do what they do in any job unless you get to work with wonderful people and. I am very blessed that in my job I get to work with incredible folks. Oh, he sent us about 10 emails regarding this <laughs> podcast that you never saw. Seriously. I'm not saying give him a raise because that's a money thing. Um, so do you miss something about your former life, being a cantor and being a, a reporter and being a columnist, or are you totally immersed in this new life? Well, life is a journey, and I, I don't know that it's a new life per se. It's just a continuation of of where I've been in the past. So I get to exercise that same sort of curiosity uh, that I had as a journalist in my role f- as controller of the city of L.A. And while I'm not uh, working as a chazan every weekend... Uh, you still I, sing. I still do a lot of that, absolutely. And uh, In your synagogue? Uh, at uh, Temple Akiba in Culver mm-hmm. City. Uh, now they have a, a fantastic full-time uh, cantor there. But, so the job uh, is safe. I, so yeah, her, her job is absolutely safe. Uh, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And it's it's also something that uh, my husband Zach and I very much share. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, have you picked up new melodies over the years, like Sephardic melodies? Uh, oh, I'll, I think that there are so many wonderful totally places, biased. so many wonderful places to get uh, inspiration from music. Uh, everything from uh, Sephardic melodies to, of course, I grew up with the the very old classic time, Ashkenazi classic, from Poland. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my father was a rabbi. He was also Hazan. He had his PhD in music. My parents were both opera singers. So I grew up with that. They in... were the rock stars in Poland. They were by the <laughs> hundreds. I saw it in that movie by Norman Lamb. I'm sure you saw the film. Yeah. Oh yeah, they really the were. Counters. They were they, rock stars. They very much were. You, you know, the very latest Licha Dojina we sang to uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Have you heard that yet? Uh, well, I know uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. and uh... You have to bring it on for Shabbat. Tell Zach I, okay. I brought up the idea. It's You'll see it on YouTube. It is 
incredible. Not easy to sing. Well, they also, at, actually, at his congregation, they, uh, they have a couple of uh, special Friday night services sometimes. They did a Broadway Shabbat, uh-huh. where every single one of the uh, traditional parts of the Friday night service were done to a different Broadway tune. It was unbelievable. You can fit uh, Jewish music into just about any genre. Uh, I love it, love it. We did that to the Beatles once, and Le Chadodi was to Michel Mabel. I will not sing it. Sorry, Armando. Le <laughs> He twisted my arm. Um, no, I'm a big, big believer in music for bringing Jewish connection to oh, the yes. generation. Well, music Melodies. for everything. Uh, I, I have it in my head all the time, but... Uh, it's it's a way that we can communicate across every single culture and every single political background and every single language is through music. You reach out to so many different people, and uh, I have to ask whether you have aspirations for, you know, higher offices, mayor, governor, president. Do you ever think about that? I mean, you're in the, you're in the world now, public service, and you've been very successful. Thank you. Well, I've been in this job for six and a half years now, and uh, because of extended uh, terms that the uh, voters agree to, I have another three and a half years, and then I'm termed out of this job. And then I've got to figure out what will be next. But there is definitely going to be another chapter because of all of the jobs that I've had. uh, Public service is the one that I find that most resonates with me. Well, you know, on behalf of all our readers and listeners, we hope you stick around on a public service. And I'm, I want to give everybody the website. Uh, and I want to invite every listener to get on the site, go and see all the transparency and absolutely where every dollar is being spent. And feel free to uh, email Ian, Ian Thompson. <laughs> any uh, any uh, issues you might have, lacontroller.org. And you will find not only all that data, but you will find maps of so many different things. You'll find, for example, a map of every oil well, which is the closest one to you that may even on be Pico capped. Robertson. We have one on Pico. You will find uh, every uh, property that is owned by the city of Los Angeles. You will find uh, all sorts of information about where you're most likely to get a parking ticket. What kind of parking ticket will that be and how much will you pay for it? You name it, we seek to map it. So we're inviting every listener, all our readers, L.A. Controllers, C-O-N-T-R-O-L-L-E-R dot org slash about dot R-O-N. L.A. Controller dot org. Ron Galperin, it was really delightful for you to come on in. And congratulations on all the good stuff you're doing for our city. Great to be with you. Uh, thank you so much uh, to my favorite publisher and to... <laughs> The Jewish Journal for doing an amazing job of covering Los Angeles and our Jewish community. And an early Shabbat Shalom to you and Zach. Thank you to you as well. (laughs) 